Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Paleontology Perk-Up, the show where we talk about everything to do with paleontology, media, and technology. I'm Sabrina, and I'll be one of your hosts today. And I'm Rob. I also host. But Sabrina, I don't think this is the show that we're supposed to be doing right now. Finding deposits of dinosaur fossils is always exciting, but how exactly should we go about doing this? On today's episode... Sabrina, what are you doing? This is a retail show. I mean, yeah, if you want to get technical about it, sure. But Rob, our guest today discovered a deposit of dinosaur fossils. And I mean, dinosaurs. I love dinosaurs. Tell you what, we'll talk about all the retail media stuff first, and then we'll let you ask one question about dinosaurs at the very end. Fair? Okay. All right. So let's try this again. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Retail Refresh, the show where we talk about everything to do with retail media and technology. Today, we'll be discussing how to go about starting an in-store retail media network and a different business model for securing the hardware, software, and expertise that goes into that kind of endeavor. And our guest today is Jeff Kripe, CEO and co-founder of Ara Labs, which operates a network of advertising displays that can be found on Uber drivers' cars, at roadside, attached to EV charging stations, and yes, inside of retail environments. He's also an investor and advisor to a number of tech companies, including in the retail space. And he also discovered a significant deposit of dinosaur fossils when he was in high school. Jeff, welcome to the show. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. It's good to have you. Um, so to provide a little context for our discussion, can you please tell us a little bit about Ara Labs? It would be great to get maybe an overview of your whole history and also your increasing interest in the retail space in particular. Yeah, and let me try to condense. So we we founded the company in 17, uh, 2016. So I'll try to condense, you know, gosh, seven years now and, you know, maybe a concise minute or so. But, um, you know, we originally founded the company in 2016. And the vision at the time and the thesis was that the rideshare industry was going to develop in many ways like the airline industry did in the sense that as there was more competition in the airline industry with more carriers and you know, lower cost transport, they started turning to value add services, um, you know, better food and beverage, media connectivity uh, or media and connectivity. Um, and other things to to both improve your experience while you were in flight, but also to to generate more revenue from their passengers. And you know, in 2016, rideshare wasn't the massive behemoth um, you know that it is today. It was big and it was growing, but it was um, you know we were in the very early stages of a transition to sort of this new form of shared transport. And we believed that you know there was initially Uber and there was Lyft, but pretty soon there was Grab and Gojek and 99 Taxi and um, you know, and get and and Yandex and all of these other rideshare companies cropping up. And our belief was that um, rideshare too would turn to additional services in and around the vehicle to provide a better experience to their passengers and uh, to monetize those passengers more effectively. And the opportunities they, that we identified at the time were actual commerce inside the vehicle, the provision of like physical goods and services inside of the vehicle. Um, uh, as well as potentially media and entertainment inside the vehicle, connectivity, and then advertising on top of the vehicle, borrowing from sort of a longstanding tradition of New York City and Chicago taxis having advertising on them, um, and thinking of sort of the next generation of, of, of what that product might look like. Uh, in 2016, we actually started on um, the commerce piece of it because we knew Uber and Lyft were not yet ready to lean into anything advertising-related um, that might be construed at the time, again, going back seven years, as feeling too taxi. Um, so we started with this commerce product, uh, and at the time, the company was called Cargo. 
Um, and we developed a vending device that uh, could be deployed rapidly into a rideshare vehicle that carried 30 different products, you know, gum, chapstick, Advil, iPhone chargers, um, snacks. We did Korean face masks. We did condoms. We did any number of things. Um, and we worked with probably 250 different CPG partners, the vast majority of whom we had exclusive uh, distribution relationships with to deploy, to deploy their products into rideshare vehicles. And this really nifty little device that mounted on top of the center console would allow a passenger to, to get inside the vehicle, immediately see it, scan a QR code or, or, or use our mobile app to select from a variety of products that were inside the vehicle. Certain products were samples that brands were paying us to distribute. Certain products were retail products that we were buying and then reselling. Um, so there was sort of this surprise and delight and discovery element to it. Uh, and we had a really interesting um, kind of closed loop, um, you know, me media and retail ecosystem where people were getting inside the vehicles, discovering the products. Um, then if they liked the samples, we enabled them to buy the full-size versions of those products online with discounts so we could track click-through rates to the full-size products through e-commerce channels like Amazon and Jet and Walmart um, uh, and really help retailers and, and brands understand, okay, I put these products into these markets. They were exposed to these consumers. This is how we indexed against our competitive set. Um, these are the types of demographics we perform really well with. Um, you know, we saw surprising things like people were drinking Red Bull in the morning as coffee replacements if they didn't have time to get their coffee. But Red Bull was a great coffee substitute in the morning. So, um, uh, uh, you know, and along the way, we deployed between, you know, probably 2017 and the end of 2019, uh, about 50,000, 50,000 of these vending devices in 14 cities and five countries, the U.S., Mexico, Brazil, uh, Singapore, Indonesia, and we'd raised um, you know, $40 million plus in venture capital. And we've gone from zero to, you know, just about 10 million in revenue in about 30 months. And we saw enormous growth and that was great. Um, and in 2019, after we had in 2018 inked a, a deal with Uber um, uh, to deploy that vending product, they came to us in 2019 and they said, hey, uh, we would love uh, to also work with you to deploy screens on top of our rideshare vehicles because we're building a media ecosystem and we want advertisers to be able to reach people in our apps, in our cars, and everybody around our vehicles to be exposed to apps that are being, you know, ads that are being served up through, you know, displays on top of rideshare vehicles and taxis. So we began working on our second product in the rideshare space with Uber in 2019, uh, which is the car top product that we're probably most known for today. We've got thousands of screens deployed across seven markets. Uh, in the U.S., about two-thirds of our fleet are on Uber vehicles in six cities, and a third of our fleet are on taxis in New York City, also with Uber. Um, and so if you go to New York City and you see, you know, displays on top of taxis, probably 70 or 80 percent of those displays are, are owned and operated by us. Um, and then the pandemic hit, and our lives changed pretty considerably because, as you can imagine, um, you know, we have this sort of nascent car top advertising business that's getting off the ground but it's literally an out of home advertising product and nobody was out of their home. Uh, but, but that was fine and that was solvable. The bigger problem was that nobody was getting into rideshare vehicles at the time. And if they were, they certainly weren't consuming products uh, out of those vehicles in which we had our vending devices because that, you know, early on in the pandemic, we thought disease was transmitted on physical objects. And eventually we sort of found that to be less true, um, but that posed serious problems for us. So, 
uh, ultimately, we made the difficult decision to basically sunset the much larger portion of our business, which was the vending product, and focus exclusively on the car top advertising product. And um, that now has, has sort of opened our, our mind um, to how we can work with, we have a pretty unique relationship with Uber, and we're in the process of replicating that with other companies that want to deploy um, national networks of advertising and media displays. And um, I'll talk more about, you know, how, how we're unique and differentiated, but, um, you know, long story short, uh, we've, we've sort of um, re-envisioned the business to, to really take what we've learned through our relationship with Uber as we've scaled that to the largest car top advertising network in the U.S. and redeploy a lot of those strategies to make it um, easier and more cost efficient um, for uh, companies, in particular retailers, um, to deploy nationwide networks of displays. That was an excellent history of, of the company. Thank you so much for the context. Sure. Yeah, it's quite the journey. I think the extent of my journey during the pandemic was I moved. Uh, so uh, <laughs> good job for you guys. Um, I'm curious about the retail space specifically. Uh, you know, there's a lot of interest in retail media now and including in the in-store uh, space as well. Um, but it seems a lot of retailers don't know where to start with that in-store piece. Can you maybe give us a bit of a breakdown of the different you know, elements that go into developing an in-store media network? Yeah. Uh, and first, maybe let's start off with what's happening. So from our vantage point, what we're seeing is Amazon has eaten everybody's lunch. And I'm not just talking about product sales. Obviously, they've done that on product sales, but more parity is being achieved as you know, companies like Walmart and, and Target sort of catch up on the product sales side. But where they're really crushing people is they've turned their e-commerce business into a massive advertising business, and it's super high margin. And what, what I think a lot of retailers are starting to see is, hey, we have a big online audience in our loyalty programs. We've been aggregating people into our loyalty programs for 50 years. Um, we have a huge online audience of people who are now shopping at walmart.com and target.com. Um, but we also have you know, a, a footprint of thousands of stores across the US and other countries with hundreds of millions of people for the biggest retailers coming through their st those stores. Um, and, and that in and of itself is a huge advertising opportunity. Um, so the first step, I think, has been for many of these retailers to think about the low-hanging fruit, which is connecting advertisers to their digital audiences and their loyalty programs and on their e-commerce platforms. The second step, which I think is probably most interesting to you guys and to us, is um, finding a way to efficiently connect advertisers to that in-store audience. And, and, and how do you do that? So if you look at you know, Walmart's uh, uh, digital media and, and, and advertising ecosystem called Walmart Connect. Um, they're mostly focused on, uh, on serving endemic advertisers. Uh, from a digital standpoint, they have search advertising, they have display advertising. I think they have integrations with their customer loyalty programs. And from an in-store standpoint, they have screens and they have brand and product activations um, where we are really focused on helping retailers um, you know, optimize their the, the media side of their business is really focusing on the, the in-store screen element. How do we get you the right screens, um, you know, inside? How do we make sure those screens are integrated in a holistic way with the rest of your media stack so that as you're promoting to all of these endemic advertisers, 
You can serve media across all of your other properties, but also seamlessly across the displays. How do we make sure there's measurement so that we understand what's actually being sold in store um, and, and what's being advertised on the displays? And we can track cause and effect and, and actually tell advertisers, hey, um, uh, this is how we can prove to you that, you know, your advertising was you know, deployed very effectively and you can see the, the lift there was on sales and the locations where those ads were, were deployed. Um, and the other thing we actually spend a lot of time thinking about is parking areas. You know, in store, again, it's sort of second order low hanging fruit. Um, what a lot of people in what has been um, sort of an underrepresented, in our view, opportunity is the parking areas. This is the last moment, um, you know, stores already are inundated with so many uh, different uh, forms of media and advertising and, and promotional content endemic to the store. Parking areas are typically not. And it's the last moment before you walk into a store when you're deciding, you know, what credit card am I gonna use? What do I need to shop for? So we've, especially with our EV media product that we, um, we announced last August with ChargePoint, you know, we're spending a lot of time thinking about how we can actually engage customers and welcome them to the store as they enter the parking area and plug in their electric vehicle to charge with displays that are co-located with, uh, with the EV chargers. But, you know, I would say for us, we, we would think about the different components of, of the client's, you know, retail strategy and then try to help them understand the parts of it where we can drive um, uh, uh, selection of the right, you know, display products. Um, uh, integration of that display product with um, their existing media stack um, and then ensuring that, you know, any technology in the screens related to measurement or other things is, is kind of feeding back into that ecosystem um, in a complementary way to everything else that they're doing. I'm going to park the parking lot question for a later question. And I do yeah. want to follow up with what Rob asked before. So um, I'm wondering if there are any misconceptions now that you're seeing out there. So maybe something that like retailers don't necessarily understand about rolling out an effective in-store media business. Yeah. So the, so here's everybody's instinct. Everybody's instinct. When I say everybody, I mean, every retailer is going to be, wow, you know, Amazon now has its own media platform. Walmart has its own media platform. Well, newsflash, not everybody's Walmart and Amazon, um, either from a, uh, from an investment standpoint that, you know, those companies just have a lot of dollars to invest into standing up something in-house or a scale standpoint. It makes sense for Walmart and Target and Amazon to have their own in-house media businesses because their scale is so large that closed ecosystem in and of itself is, is of a scale that is going to be interesting to advertisers to factor into their media plans. But not every company has that scale. Not every company has that capacity to invest. So one of the things that we have spent a lot of time thinking about is how do we build a turnkey solution so that a smaller retailer can come to us and say, hey, we may not have 5,000 stores, but we've got 500 um, uh, or 300 or 200. And we want to generate media revenue uh, at these locations. And how can we work with you to um, build out a network of displays across all of those locations, which are very valuable to us and, and, and very valuable to them, but do that by plugging it into a larger network that is not just that retailer, um, uh, but, but that is a larger consortium of networks across multiple retailers. And then that scale across all of those retailers really drives you know, revenue lift um, and enables that sort of individual smaller retailer to reap the benefits of being a much bigger platform and sort of mimic the scale of a Walmart or, 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 or a retailer of that magnitude. 
and just to put some specifics on that and what I actually mean, you know, what we've developed with charge pointing gas station TV is a good example of this gas station TV is one of the largest digital video networks in the US. They've got 200,000 plus screens across, you know, 26,000 plus gas stations. Um, they're reaching 40% of US adults monthly. Every screen that we put in the ground next to a charger is then plugged into that GSTV network. So we're not selling, you know, a couple of locations where we have EV media displays. We're selling their, or rather they're selling their entire network and the, the EV media network is growing alongside of it eventually to a scale where it can be, you know, sold on its own. Um, but it's 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 now it's it's complementing that existing network they have, and we would sort of apply that same um, you know practice to working with some of these smaller retailers, where you know, hey, we just have to you know lay the cards on the table and say you're 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 not Amazon scale, you're not Walmart scale, but if we execute sort of a vision for bringing media to your properties in the right way, we can mimic that scale by bringing into a larger group of, of retailers and sites where. Um, that scale is really meaningful to advertisers. Yeah, I think we're we're seeing similar models, you know, popping up in in the UK. Slightly different kind of retail environments, but the same idea of almost democratizing the in-store digital media channel uh, and making it accessible to companies that otherwise either wouldn't be able to do it at all or wouldn't be able to do it quite as effectively. So. Uh, maybe if we can get into the details a little bit, you know, if I'm one of these, you know, relatively smaller retailers, I'm interested in this kind of prospect of becoming a part of something bigger. What does that look like to me from a day-to-day -day perspective? You know, what, what kind of content can I expect to see? How is this all going to work for me uh, when this introduces, uh, you know, media into my stores? Yeah. Um, so if you think about just on the surface, you know, maybe how we're different from, traditional screen retailers. Maybe we start there and then sort of get more into the media side. But a traditional screen retailer, if you are, you know, a, a, a retailer now and you want to build, whether it's plugged into a larger network or, um, you know, it's standalone, you know, media only present at your specific stores, what you historically would need to do is work with a screen procurement partner who is going to basically look through hundreds and hundreds of options of commoditized displays that are going to be at widely varying price points with different nits and brightness and, um, uh, you know, uptime guarantees and form factors and costs and any number of things. And you're probably going to get a one-year warranty on those. They're going to charge you a 30% markup and, you know, they're going to sell you the screen, they're going to ship it to you. And then it's kind of your problem from there on out, especially once you're outside of that warranty window. And then to actually actualize that network, you probably need seven different vendors. In addition to the screen procurement partner, you need somebody to install it. You need somebody to maintain it. You need a connectivity partner that's going to provide cellular to it unless you're plugging it into local Wi-Fi. Um, you're going to need a content management system that you're probably going to have to license and pay additional money for. Uh, you're going to need a screen diagnostics um, or, or knock partner to basically uh, you know, manage um, you know, the health of those devices remotely and dispatch when needed, uh, maintenance to maintain those screens or hot swap them out. You're going to have to deal with factory RMAs. If a screen breaks down and it's outside of the warranty or inside of the warranty, you're going to have to ship that back to either some national or um, uh, international, you know, vendor who's going to repair those screens. I mean, it's, you literally need seven or eight different vendors to actualize a national network. It's CapEx heavy and it's heavy on people. Um, and we believe that for most companies, none of that is actually core to their business. They, they sometimes will do it today because that's their only option, 
our model is different. We're really, you know, think of us as a managed service provider and a systems integrator where you can have one vendor to manage all of those work streams that I just described. It's CapEx Lite, it's Team Lite, or it can be CapEx Lite. Um, and we really have two different ways you can work with us. Um, you can lease devices where um, we carry the cost of that device on our balance sheet, we finance it, stays on our balance sheet, and then there's basically a monthly operations and maintenance subscription plus a leasing fee, or we can retail you that display, you get a long warranty on it, and then there's a very small monthly uh, operations and maintenance subscription where we're also providing the content management and other things. So that's just like dollars and cents, like why we believe this model makes sense and why it's resonated, resonating with some of the large public customers that we have today. Um, from an actual media standpoint, again, we, we have some flexibility. If, um, if the client says, hey, we actually, you know, um, you know, it's a large convenience store chain or a medium-sized convenience store chain, and they already have their own internal you know, media resources and they just want to sell this to endemic advertisers and folks like you know, major CPG brands who are going to want additional opportunities to promote their brands digitally inside of those storefronts, that's fine. We'll provide the displays and the content management system and allow you to fully control the content that is on those screens and monetize that content in whatever way you wish. Alternatively, if you'd like that to be plugged into a larger network, um, there's a couple steps. We're going to analyze each location and the placement of displays within those locations. We're going to bring those to our media partners and opt uh, as many of those as we can into their media network. And then they are going to sell all of that third-party media on your behalf, obviously de-conflicting out competitors and other things like that. And in some cases, you know, we can look at, hey, they're selling third-party media and you're still selling endemic media. There are ways for us to sort of, you know, operate and sort of cohabitate from a media standpoint there. Um, but, you know, we, we don't necessarily believe there's like a one size fits all. Um, uh, and we, we try to give our customers some optionality based on, um, you know, what their internal objectives are and we'll make recommendations. But we try to, you know, as much as we can kind of fit around, um, you know, the strategic objectives that are coming top down, you know, from, from that client. What I love about that is, you know, obviously there are plenty of advantages to going your own way, right? Doing it all yourself and reaping all the rewards that way. But if you don't want to do that, there's another model for you to explore, right? It's kind of just making the in-store digital media channel that we know can be so effective and is clearly on a trajectory to become much more important over the next few years, just much more accessible to all kinds of retailers. So it's, it's really, I don't know, it's, it's an exciting prospect to me that there are these different options out there. Exactly. And, you know, it's not up to us to decide how you want to monetize these things. It's it's for us to say, if you are going to monetize these things, let us take off your plate the things that you probably would not choose to do if you didn't have to and eliminate the, the pieces of this that are not core to your business and allow you to focus on what you want to focus on, which is either selling products or selling media. And um, we can sort of expose those displays and keep them healthy. Um, but it's really up to you to, to sort of use that time and that space to communicate with and influence your customers and, and generate revenue in whatever way you want. So uh, I'm going to back up and uh, bring back the parking area uh, that you mentioned earlier. So you have inventory on vehicles, you're in parking facilities and in various environments around the city. What other opportunities does that present retailers who you work with? So I would say there's a today and there's a tomorrow. Today, all of our networks are siloed networks that are controlled 
you know, these several thousand screens are controlled by this media partner. These several thousand screens are controlled by this media partner. At a certain point, um, I would very much like for those networks to be linked. So today, you know, we can do, you know, technologically non-scalable things like make introductions to see the extent to which, hey, if somebody wants to be on car tops, but also at our EV charging stations, um, we can help facilitate that. Eventually, I would like for buyers to be able to more seamlessly or for advertisers to be able to more seamlessly buy across all of those networks. We're not there yet. Um, but eventually, I'd like that uh, for that to happen. But, you know, today we, we, we would really just do it through, you know, through introductions. If somebody is already on car tops and they say, hey, we, we love that you have these media assets that are also at, you know, EV charging, uh, you know, EV charging stations, because we're really focused on, you know, an on the go consumer in transit environments, that's great. And we'll make all the introductions that we need, but we today are not actively involved in servicing the media. We're really sort of the infrastructure partner that stands up the media infrastructure and then uh, make sure it performs for whatever media platform, whether it's Uber or gas station TV is on the other side of that um, network, selling that media and bringing it to market. Um, maybe just looking ahead, you know, and I guess back to the retail piece in particular, what excites you about retail media and in particular the in-store piece and the growth that it's expected to undergo over the next few years? Well, you know, at a high level, one of the things that we've always thought is we started this company when I was 25 and 2015, 2016. Um, I think it was Paul Graham, the, you know, for a long time, the, the Y Combinator founder and CEO said, you know, if you're going to, if you're going to build a com big company, you have to ride a big wave. And, you know, when we started the company, Rideshare was our big wave and it still is. But I think we're, we're now seeing the proliferation of digital screens as, as an ancillary, very big wave to ride. I mean, demand for digital displays is growing at like 10% CAGR and it's projected to for the next, I think it's 10 years or so. Um, and it's because, you know, folks are seeing, um, and I say folks, but really that's, digital out-of-home media companies, traditional large out-of-home media companies, um, uh, you know, uh, transit operators, retailers, hospitality companies, um, you know, they're seeing that screens are a really effective way to communicate with and influence your customers. Um, and I think that transition is sort of never more apparent than it is right now. And we're excited to sort of, I think, be a part of that, but really be a solution that the market hasn't had before. Again, just sort of like our view is like the traditional way of acquiring and deploying screens is it's not very good. It's just, honestly, it's, it's bad. Like we talked to a, re a major retailer um, recently that has displays, um, but they're all across many, many of its storefronts, but they're all regionally managed by regional billboard networks. And that creates so many issues around being able to serve content in a programmatized way across that entire network or when screens are down, you have to talk to different operators to figure out why those assets are down, but these assets aren't. And it really makes it difficult to scale something truly nationwide. It introduces a lot of friction and it's more, you know, headcount heavy. And, um, you know, I think what, what we're excited about is hopefully bring, you know, a novel solution to the market that, um, responds to a lot of the pain points that, um, you know, customers who've operated networks of displays have had in the past. And, you know, again, not to just hit it, hit it too much, but um, we're, we're really excited. And 
especially with all the infrastructure funding, you know, coming out, you know, last year and this year and over the next couple of years through the through the bipartisan infrastructure bill, we're really excited about this EV media product. Um, and you're now seeing companies like Walmart, and this is very public in an RFP that, that, that they, you know, released and made public that they were releasing it. You know, there um, there's a big focus on uh, not only charging, but uh, how those charging stations uh, should be media enabled to, to plug into their larger retail media network um, that that is built inside of their stores and on their digital platforms. So, you know, for me, it's you know the most exciting thing is just the the growth of the market and and our being able to sort of piggyback on that growth. And then you know specifically, I think excitement around the products that we were um, you know maybe a little early on and and uh, uh, I don't want to say discovering, but sort of putting some weight behind and hopefully developing some novel solutions to accelerate the deployment of those products. Pioneering. Um, that's the word we need. So let's, uh, let's get that excitement up. We always put our guests on the spot asking them, what is you know, an example or an idea that you would have for a cool in-store digital media campaign? Interesting, okay. So we were doing a demo recently and uh, one of the things I really wanted our team to build, and I'd still love to see this, is um, we were thinking about this use case, right, where we have these large 50-inch displays that are co-located with the EV charging stations, and we're thinking about different ways that a major retailer could leverage that. Do you want to advertise your curbside pickup? Do you want to advertise your, your loyalty app? What do you want to do? And I wanted to think about something more transactional. Um, and one of the things that we've kind of been working on is something where you know, there's a QR code. So there's this beautiful video playing. Somebody showed me sort of a version of this the other day. There's this beautiful video playing. It's very appetizing of uh, these cookies being um, sort of the ingredients being mixed and then the cookies being sort of rolled into little cookie balls and then being smushed on, um, uh, on, on the, you know, the baking pan to be put in the oven. And it just looks really delicious. And you, you want to watch it. Advertising is not always good, but good advertising is entertainment. And you actually want to watch the video beautifully rendered on this, you know, high def, you know, four, you know, uh, four thousand nit, fifty inch display. So you see it, and then a QR code pops up halfway through, and you can scan that QR code. And if you're outside of that retailer, let's say it's Walmart, um, uh, that QR code brings up all of the ingredients for those cookies and drops them into your cart, um, so that as you go in you can either shop those ingredients in the store or you can just press a button and have those ingredients, you know, purchased through your Walmart card and fulfilled to you, you know, at your home. Um, so I've been really thinking about sort of ways that you can create excitement about a purchase or drive interest in a purchase that somebody wasn't even thinking about. That's sort of instantaneous and, um, uh, and, and not only drive some of these, ancillary goals for retailers, which is we want more people in our store. We want more people thinking about, you know, major products that we have in the store and say, how do we actually drive transactions? And, and so that was something that we've been thinking about recently and, and think it's kind of fun and interesting. You had me at cookies. I was sold. <laughs> me too. I haven't had lunch yet. I'm starving. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you have any final parting words for the audience? Gosh, uh, I don't know. I, my mind always goes to, you know, we, we've, you know, we've got a good team of people and we've been really working hard on this business for, uh, for seven years. And, um, you know, after navigating through the pandemic where, you know, that was sort of unkind to us, uh, for, 
for for a, you know a year or two there and fortunately we've, we've emerged you know stronger on the other side profitable growing you know all the things that you want to be which is great but you know i think just to, to other founders who are in this space um you know we're we're excited to work with you and um you know we had some headwinds over the last couple of years but um, you know, I do think we've got, got a lot of tailwinds, uh, kind of coming, um, especially as people get more excited about, you know, retail media, which has kind of been a buzzword for a while, but now some of those things are starting to percolate in real ways into the space and we're getting more inbound than we ever have had before. So, um, you know, I hope other people are, are sort of, uh, and other founders and company, you know, earlier stage companies in our space are, uh, are, are sort of poised to benefit from that. And, uh, if anybody you know, hears this and is excited about it and wants to reach out. We're always, always happy to chat. On that note, where, how would they get in touch with, with you? Is there a, you want to share a website, email address, LinkedIn profile? Now's your opportunity. Yeah. Feel free to LinkedIn me. It's just my name or, um, you know, reach out through our webpage where, you know, we actually get a lot of, uh, you know, just through our website, we actually get a lot of inbounds and uh, it gets, everything gets forwarded uh, directly to me or, um, you know, one of our key operators and, Frankly, still most of it gets surfaced to me. Um, so uh, no, that actually is, you know, it's not one of those, uh, our email capture isn't something where, you know, it's just you know, your email and question goes, to, it's not a place where it goes to die. It will get uh, responded to. So yeah, please through the website or, or through my LinkedIn, that would be great. Perfect. Rob, you promised me one dinosaur question and I have it's been time. waiting. It's time. <laughs> it's time. <laughs> I want to ask um, Rob and Jeff, what is your favorite dinosaur? I, I can you go first because I'm not an expert and my answer will mean nothing. I think it's a plesiosaurus. It might just be a plesiosaur. I don't even know that. I like the the aquatic guy with the long neck. That's my that's my guy. Gosh, now I wish I had I I haven't looked at this in a while. I think those actually might technically be marine reptiles, not dinosaurs, but we'll let it slide. Um <laughs> what what a what would mine be? Well, I obviously, I love the one that, that, that I found, which was a theropod um, in Southern Utah. Um, it's like a 35 foot dinosaur. We found basically the lower right leg and we found a, a bunch of other stuff uh, around it, sea turtles and hadrosaurs and other cool creatures. And theropods are basically tyrannosaurs. So, you know, this, this was kind of similar to like an Albertosaurus. So I, I do like that guy, but um, I was actually watching pre season two of Prehistoric Planet uh, or season one of Prehistoric Planet, which is that the the Apple TV show, which is basically, uh, um, you know, sort of the dinosaur version of you know, uh, gosh, I'm totally of, of Planet Earth, um, and it's actually, I mean, it's spectacular. Um, and uh, I, we were watching my wife and I the the Therizinosaur, which is sort of like, sort of like a large, like clawed, sort of almost like ostrich-like creature. And it, I mean, they're huge. They're like T-Rex size. Like they're, they're massive. I just couldn't imagine actually seeing one of those in person, nor have I ever, you know, even come close to looking for finding something like that. But I think those are, those guys are pretty cool. I think you came as close as you possibly could by discovering those fossils, <laughs> which I'm very, very um, excited to hear about. If any of you are curious, my favorite dinosaur is an ankylosaurus, probably because I did a grade three exercise on the ankylosaurus and just ended up sticking to, to that dinosaur as my favorite one. So um, a good pick. They're fun. I think that also might be my wife's favorite dinosaur. So yeah. that's good. They've got, they've got a lot of fans. Yeah. Good. Good to know. Good to know I picked a good dinosaur. It's <laughs> good uh, company. Yeah. Thank you so much, Jeff. Um, I think that wraps it up for, for questions. Um, Rob. Yeah. 
Yes, thank you, Jeff, for uh, joining us. And that is it for today. We'll be back in a couple of weeks for more about retail media and technology. So uh, make sure you come back then to see what else we have in store for you. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Look forward to chatting again soon.